Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, December 18th. Have you seen the cover of this week's New York Magazine yet? The headline is, The Calmest Democrats in the Country. And then it says, Despite terrible polls and panicked pundits, the mood inside Biden headquarters is chill. So we're going to have the writer of that story now, New York Magazine's national political correspondent, Gabe Benedetti Is the Biden team like an ostrich with its head in the sand? Or is everyone else running around mindlessly like a chicken without a head? Choose your feather-headed creature metaphor. We'll discuss. Hi, Gabe. Welcome back to WNYC. Hey, uh, Brian. It's good to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back. In brief, to start out, what's this divide? Well, the divide is between uh, the rest of the world. We'll start there. People who look at the polls and feel like, oh, my goodness gracious, Donald Trump is about to come back. Joe Biden is plummeting in the public's uh, you know, view. And what are we doing about it? Uh, and then there's the people who are actually you know, allied with Joe Biden. It's his campaign. It's people in the White House, people who I spent the last few months really digging in with. Uh, and their view is, listen, folks, we have a plan. The next year is not going to be easy. The election is going to be close. But there is a there is a theory of the case here. And that largely rests on the idea that as soon as the American people realize that this is really a binary choice, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, once again, uh, they'll wake up and these poll numbers will start to look a little bit better. Although I don't know that there were poll numbers in 2020, like the ones we've been seeing recently, that actually show Trump beating Biden in most of the swing states, were there? No, and there weren't in 2016 either when, when it was Hillary Clinton running. And so that's one of the big arguments that the Biden campaign has been contending with, uh, the idea that this is a singularly bad environment for their for the incumbent president right now. The case that they make is that in uh, 2011, when we were at this point, when Barack Obama was running for re-election, there weren't as dire polling as we have, as we look at now. But there certainly was a lot of polling showing that, you know, Obama was very unpopular. Same thing happened with Bill Clinton when he was running for re-election. So as they see it, there is some precedence here. But yeah, no one, no one is pretending that this is exactly where they want to be. Talk about the alternatives. If this is not about Biden not running and giving it up to a younger Democrat, if this is about just Biden running for re-election and how they're running the campaign. Who's saying what about what they should be doing? Yeah, uh, we should be clear that we're well past the point where it's realistic to think that Biden's not going to run and anyone could take over. Uh, and, and in fact, most of the criticisms from outside the campaign that you hear is a sort of vague sense that something is clearly not right around Biden and his public image. But there's not necessarily a lot of specific uh, objections that people have to the actions of the campaign itself. The, 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 mo the closest thing to it is is anxiety that the campaign hasn't really ramped up in a very public way. And they say there's a reason for that. They took a lot of cues from the Obama re-election campaign of 2012, you know, the 2011 to 2012 campaign, which really did try to build up in a very public way. That turned out to be quite expensive and very inefficient. So what the Biden team is trying to do is be methodical about the way that it's building up. It does have organizing presences in some swing states. 
It is advertising all over the country in a very scientific way, trying to make sure that they reach the right people at the right time. So their perspective is, listen, we get that the polls aren't good right now, but the reason that I call them the calmest Democrats in America is because they are very confident that they have a plan and that as long as they can follow this plan, if you just look at election after election right now, especially since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, you know, Democrats do well. Democrats are overperforming. And once people realize that this is a election where once again, the real question is going to be, do you want Donald Trump to be president again? Uh, things will look significantly better. But in terms of specific objections to what they are doing on the ground, they haven't been fielding much. It's just a generalized anxiety. And that's an understandable one. Is some of it calling on Biden to get louder about Donald Trump? Like, I, th- I think it's been reported that Biden's general public stance toward Trump is let Trump say these outrageous things that he says, don't give it fuel, don't give them fuel or oxygen uh, by getting into a, you know, um, a shouting war right. with Donald Trump in your media channels versus his media channels, that kind of thing, that, that Biden thinks that's to Trump's advantage. But a lot of other Democrats think, no, he's going to spread his message and he's going to be more likely to win unless you're out there pushing back. That was definitely the debate, especially over the summer. I had a lot of people in the Biden orbit, the broader Biden orbit, say we really got to be going after Trump a lot harder now. But once it became totally obvious that Trump was really running away with this GOP primary, you know, Things might change, but Trump is leading by by a huge amount. Uh, that started to change. And Biden has been talking more and more about Trump. His campaign is advertising quite heavily against Trump already. And it's important and I think instructive to look back at the example of the 2022 midterms. What a lot of Democrats said, what Biden needs to be doing is just, you know, not, try not to make this about himself, but really focus on the, the economy, on crime, on how he is trying to make things better. But what Biden said, and this might be a little bit counterintuitive to try and remember this, what Biden said was we need to talk about the stakes of this election and of the Trump is, Trumpism question uh, when it comes to democracy in, in this country and the fate of democracy in this country. And he gave this big speech about democracy before the last elections in which a lot of Democrats said you shouldn't be doing this, you're just distracting, and then Democrats overperformed. So from the Biden perspective, now is the time when he can start to talk about things like this. So more and more, you do actually see him starting to talk about the threat to democracy, which is one of his preferred ways to talk about Trump, uh, in addition to talking about the economic contrast between the two of them. But when it comes to the question of are we going to see Joe Biden in battleground states anytime soon giving rallies, I don't think that's in the offing. It doesn't seem likely until really maybe the first quarter, maybe the second quarter of next year. That's what precedent shows is most effective. And it's not really obvious that having Biden, you know, giving big rallies is the best way to get across his message at this point in political history. Before we go to some of our many callers and text message writers, um, do you think that Biden's reaction to what Trump said this weekend about immigrants is any different than his reaction after other Trump outrageous statements. And for people who haven't heard it, uh, Trump literally channeled Adolf Hitler from Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, saying that immigrants, and he said it so broad, broadly, we played the clip before, I don't want to play it again, because yeah. uh, it's, you know, okay, editorial, it's too disgusting. Um, but he you know, was saying that immigrants, very broadly speaking, are poisoning the blood of this country, which is a phrase that Hitler used about immigrants to Germany uh, way back then. Um, Has 
Joe Biden spoken about that in any different terms than he talks about any other outrageous things that Trump says. Yeah, you do have the White House getting more and more comfortable calling these kinds of statements, and particularly these ones, uh, fascistic, talking about the fascist tendencies that are brought to mind uh, when, when you hear things like this, you know, so clearly invoking words that Hitler said, uh, for example. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Biden say more about this specifically in the coming days. You know, I'm not I don't have inside knowledge on that, but this does seem like the kind of thing that I know has been really agitating him in recent weeks as you hear Biden or as you hear Trump becoming more and more openly uh, totalitarian, authoritarian and laughing at the idea that he could be a dictator in a positive way. Uh, Biden does seem to be quite agitated about that and willing to talk about it. If you're just joining us, Gabe Benedetti, national correspondent for New York Magazine, is our guest. He's got the cover story on the new issue called The Calmest Democrats in the Country. Despite terrible polls and panic pundits, the mood inside Biden headquarters is chill. Damani uh, in Brooklyn. Damani, you're on WNYC. Hi. Uh, hi, Brian. How are you? Um, I was just, um, you know, thank you for ha- taking my call. Um, just briefly, I wanted to say that I, I truly believe that the way the Biden administration is handling things is better than being a like a chicken without a head cut off. I think that what the American people are really um, used to is a lot of drama. And I think that the Republican uh, uh, the Republicans are giving them that drama and that's kind of uh, fueling that flame. Um, but I do hope that um, Biden just does stay steady um, and, uh, and, you know, head down and taking care of business and not get wrapped up in the hoopla and the theater or the theatrics that are going on on the other side of the aisle. I'll take my call off the air. Thank you. Damani, thank you very much. All right. One for the be calm and carry on approach. Salvatore in Greenwich Village. You're on WNYC. Hello, Salvatore. Hello, uh, gentlemen. Um, what I think part of the problem is of, of Biden's numbers is that right-wing media is just a drumbeat of doom and gloom. They disseminate no uh, accurate information about the economy, the GDP, unemployment, wages over inflation. And even though I think many, many, many people's lives, people have what they need in their lives, there's this atmosphere of like, oh, we're all going to die. Everything's collapsing. And I think it's mostly because of the drumbeat of right-wing media. Salvatore, thank you very much. But that's part of the question, right, Gabe? If right-wing media is ginning up drama every single day about how bad inflation is, how bad this or that is, and pinning it all on Biden and um, uh, putting it in Biden's lap, then that's what they have to decide how to respond to, right? Sure. And that's sort of a built-in problem at this point, not to minimize it because it is a pretty big one. But, you know, we do live in a pretty polarized environment these days. And I think one of the bigger issues that the Biden team is facing right now is, again, not to minimize that issue, but that does turn a lot of uh, people who are inclined to vote for Republicans anyway against the president. A bigger issue for them right now is that there are quite a lot of people who identify as Democrats or as Democrat adjacent who have real you know, objections to Biden right now. When you see his low approval ratings, a lot of that is coming from people who want to like him, but just can't approve of what his administration is doing for whatever reason. And and a lot of that is sort of an economic malaise that a lot of people feel, even though the top line numbers are certainly getting better. So it's a bit of a puzzle for a lot of people in the Biden orbit. 
As to the specific question, there are people in that world who are extremely concerned with the broader issue of where are people getting their news? This fractured media environment is nowhere near where it was in 2020, even when it was already complicated. It's just getting more and more decentralized, where people are getting their news from different places, often in very biased ways. Uh, and combating that and trying to get their message directly to voters is a real struggle, You know, not just for the Biden campaign, also for, for the Trump campaign, we should say, for everyone. But it is something that the Biden folks are actually studying pretty closely and, and trying to get a real methodical and scientific view of before they commit all the way to one kind of messaging over the next year. I'm curious if you've looked into, and I don't think it's in this new article, but have you looked into uh, deep fakes and other misinformation and disinformation that is being spread or will no doubt uh, be spread increasingly as Election Day in November comes closer next year? And just as you say, the media landscape is more fractured than ever. I think there's going to be more of this kind of thing than ever, whether it's about candidate X, you know, molesting children in the pizza place basement or, you know, whatever the horrible thing is, there's going to be a lot of it. Have you reported on campaigns gearing up to try to fight that sort of thing when it's just made up stuff? Right. You're, you're right that it's not in this story, but it is absolutely something that I've talked to a lot of campaigns about. And in fact, Biden has talked openly about the fact that he knows that there is a huge misinformation issue out there around him. He does mention this on some occasions, uh, having talked to his family about it, how worried they are. But, but you know, with the sense of resolution or, or resolve, rather, that this does need to be fought. Uh, campaigns, and particularly the Biden campaign, are extremely aware of this problem and have been studying what the best way to combat it is. There's no silver bullet is the short version of this, but trying to make sure that they can get their message directly to voters, you know, which we, of course, have heard every campaign since, what, 2004 say. But that's an important part of, of, of what they're trying to do. And one of the big things that I've heard from folks who are specifically working on the message or on the the part of the campaign, which is selling Joe Biden and making sure that he as a character comes across to people is they really want to make sure that folks understand that he is this trusted, kind character that a lot of them feel like they really do know, but that may have not necessarily been at the front of their minds during his presidency. So they're trying to return to the idea of Joe Biden as human. The specific question of combating deepfakes is a much more complicated one. The the short version of this is right now, the answer that you hear from a lot of people is you just got to be totally vigilant and call it out when you see it. There, again, there's simply no easy answer to it. Can you say, do you have reporting on how the Biden administration sees or or, uh, the Biden campaign, I should say, or for that matter, uh, political experts, see the politics of the Middle East situation right now as they pertain to the presidential election next year. And I realize a lot's going to happen between now and next November in the Middle East. But but from, never mind right and wrong for a moment, from a pure politics standpoint, if they're looking at alienating X number of Jewish voters in certain states versus X number of Muslim or Arab American voters mm-hmm. in other states, or just people who are not from either of those groups, but who have strong feelings about uh, U.S. policy toward the Middle East one way or the other. Yeah. How's the math? Well, very complicated. And and like you said, we should be careful in how we talk about this, because, of course, 
the primary way that they're thinking about this is not in terms of domestic politics. However, it's obviously never far from their minds, particularly with an election coming up. The reality is that there is a lot of concern that there is a very vocal group of people who are inclined to be Biden supporters, but who don't feel like they can support him right now. And a lot of these people, um, some of them are Arab American, and this is especially true in Michigan, which has a large Arab American population, and they're worried about that. Michigan is a top tier swing state. But it's also true all around the country. And, you know, like you said, a lot is going to change, not just in the Middle East, but around the world in all sorts of different ways. You know, one refrain that I heard over and over was at this point in 2019, Trump hadn't been impeached and no one had ever heard of this thing called COVID. So the world could look dramatically different in a year. But trying to make this balance, trying to not alienate either sides of his base, uh, before you even get to the question of talking about swing voters, it's a constant concern. Uh, there's not really much that anyone on the campaign side can do about it. And at the end of the day, you know, you see Biden himself trying to get out there and make sure that people understand that he is trying to negotiate pauses in fighting, negotiate for hostage releases. Uh, obviously, that hasn't been sufficient to calm a lot of the fears uh, about how this is all playing politically in terms of domestic politics. But it's it's on their mind at all times. Listener texts, I'm a progressive voter, and I resent being told my entire life to choose the lesser of two evils. I am tired of choosing evil and very near the point of refusing. One more text message that just came in uh, says, why is no one considering a Nikki Haley, Joe Manchin, third party, no labels ticket? Makes sense that you'll never win over the diehard Trumpers, and some Dems will vote no matter what for Dem. Uh, I'm a Republican, listen to rights, and I want a real option. Do you do you have a take on who these no labels presidential and vice presidential candidates might be? I know their um, goal yeah. is to take one from each party. Do you think Nikki Haley might do that, top a ticket, or Joe Manchin might do that, top a ticket, and the other be vice president with— would um, would Nikki Haley accept that, assuming she doesn't beat Trump in the primary? Well, first things first, it seems that No Labels is still considering whether they're going to put anyone on the ballot. But what ah. we do know is that they seem likeliest to put a Republican on the ballot as the top of the ticket. That just seems to be the the way that they've calculated to, it would be their best approach. Uh, the person who seems to be the focus of most of their interest is Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, who is, you know, by many accounts, at least in the Trump era, seen as a moderate Republican, um, certainly no fan of Trump. Manchin is clearly someone who has flirted a lot with the No Labels uh, organization and with running in some way. So I wouldn't rule that out either in terms of who they're going to consider. The Haley question is an interesting one that I have heard from a few people. It's not clear that Haley would accept that, would want to do it in the first place, especially if there's not really a path to victory. Let's not forget that Nikki Haley was in the Trump administration, and there are plenty of rumors that Trump is considering putting her on his ticket. So the idea that Haley would be willing to go out there and run a campaign in order to beat Trump or to stop Trump from being elected, it seems like it's highly unlikely, especially if the effect does look like that would help Biden. You know, she is running against yeah. Joe Biden here. She's not running a purely anti-Trump campaign. Right. And fair enough that the way the Democrats are characterizing Nikki Haley these days is by pointing out that she still says Donald Trump is fit for office right. uh, despite everything. So... How does she join No Labels after that? All right, we have to leave it there for today with Gabriel De Benedetti, national correspondent for New York Magazine. He has the cover story called The Calmest Democrats in the Country. 
Despite terrible polls and panicked pundits, the mood inside Biden headquarters is chill. Thanks for coming on, Gabe. Appreciate it. Always great to be here. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.